Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mic check, mic check, mic check. Unforgiven. Unforgiven. That's what you'll be. Was that the song that you chose? Yes. Is it really? No. Oh. What were you singing? Unforgettable? Yeah. Unforgettable. That's what Clint Eastwood will be. Okay. Y'all can agree that this movie is long, right? Oppenheimer was three hours. It's not but we can that agree long. that the, the length is justified in the Unforgiven, right? We what all are agree? you trying to set us up for right now? <laughs> that your song is the longest it's I'm ever just been? Saying, keep that in mind when you hear this called. Because well, if you're doing Metallica, it's going to be, it's a slow song. It's a slow, long song. <laughs> How'd you know? Clint Eastwood spent his life with a six-gun by his side A man without a name, a legend in rawhide But by 1991, those cowboy days were done He almost hung his spurs Till a script came in that made his pussy purr an old man cowboy myth Western revisionist That old man would be Clint Eastwood felt, Eastwood knew He had gold when he cast these two Morgan Free, Hackman Jean Both in supporting roles Eastwood felt, Eastwood knew he had gold when he cast those two Morgan Free, Clinton Jean All made the Unforgiven They made the Unforgiven whoa, whoa. Oscar Sunday 
1993, Billy Crystal hosts the eve, and the night is almost through, the last award to do, best picture baby, Jack Nicholson, he took the stage, he flashed his grin and read the names, the envelope, should he open it for you? A few good men Scent of a woman And Howard's end Everyone knows Those other nominees Are done Because Unforgiven won You know Unforgiven won We're talking Unforgiven But justified, right? Definitely. Yeah. Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Deersham. And with us, as always, is the Schofield kid of this podcast, Corn Pone Clifford. Yep. Corn Pone? <laughs> and on this year podcast, we take a close look at one film from our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be shot down like the mangy scoundrel it is. Shot like a canteen five feet away. Misfire. Probably the most uh, satisfying misfire in cinematic history, I would say. Yeah, very un un unexpected. Mm -hmm. And they're usually kind of like a letdown. I could not remember that happening. It so caught you off guard. It caught me by surprise. Yeah. They allude to it. Mm -hmm. They mention misfiring a couple of times before yeah. it happens. Were you surprised, Corey? The big one at the end? Yeah. Misfire. No, I actually thought that that was going to happen. Oh, you come on. I did. I did. In hindsight. I did. Sure. It, felt, it, it wasn't surprising. I feel like there's another one that's- Are you talking about like when Clint Eastwood's gun doesn't go off? Yeah. He's about to blow Gene Hackman's Yeah, there was no off. way that Gene Hackman's head was going to be blown off then. I knew it. Yeah. There's another good one. I, I have a memory of a misfire in a movie. I simply knew it. Where, there, it, do you know what I'm thinking of? It's another kind of old timey movie where it's like a musket misfires and like sparks come out when mm -hmm. it goes, but then the- you know what I mean? It is a mm -hmm. misfire. I can't think of what movie it is. Does it like burn someone's face too when mm, it happens? I don't remember that. I mean, I've definitely seen movies where a gun blows up. Mm -hmm. There's a really good scene in the newest season of Barry where a gun blows up and oh yeah, it's really funny. But then the other, the only other misfire <laughs> sequence that I can really think of is in um, 
Schindler's List, uh-huh. which is a surprisingly kind of funny sequence where like Ray Fiennes is going to execute this guy for like making something wrong on the line and he brings him out and he pulls his gun out and it clicks and doesn't do anything and then he cocks it again and it clicks and he's like, good Lord. And somebody starts looking at his gun and then he pulls out another gun and then it also misfires too. And he starts <laughs> to like have this fucking panic attack and just ends up like beating the guy. It doesn't actually execute him. Which one is this? Schindler's List. Oh, <laughs> the hilarious hysterical yeah. scene in yeah. Schindler's List. Actually, if, if my recollection is that the scene gets sad, but starts mm. fun. Yeah, it sounds like it does. <laughs> uh, maybe um, the the one with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the wild. What was that? With the bear? The Revenant. The Revenant. Oh, that could, yeah. I thought you were going to say The Beach. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio in the wild. <laughs> okay, there was some... This came out today while I was... Um, picketing this morning. Yes, um, right. We're still on strike. Writers, actors, strike. we're all there. If you want to donate, go to uh, the entertainment fund. entertainmentcommunity.org. But somehow the big chill came up in conversation. Uh-huh. And is it crazy that I've never seen that movie? No. Well, they were the person was acting truly shocked, and I, I mean, was like, "Shit, I yeah, guess I need to see this movie." Pretty well known classic movie, but it's not like it. I don't remember it like playing on TV a whole bunch. I mean, I've definitely you would have heard had to of it. Probably kind of seek it out. Well, I need to seek it out. I feel. I feel like I just didn't feel like the cinephile that I claim to be. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Justin, tell the people what movie we are talking about today. Today we're watching 1992's Unforgiven, directed by Clint Eastwood. Step over to the office and get the bullwhip. A whipping? That's all they get after what they've done? Get out of there! It was a matter of honor. They're paying a thousand dollars to whatever kills the two boys that cut up Delilah. In a time when lawmen were killers. What are y'all looking at? Outlaws were heroes. And a bad reputation. You're the one who killed William Harvey and robbed that train over Missouri? Was as good as gold. My guess is you're calling yourself Mr. William Money. Say what? You don't look no meaner than hell, cold-blooded damn killer. I ain't like that anymore, kid. Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. Are you really going to kill them cowboys? We ain't bad men no more. We're farmers. Oh, I guess they have it coming. We all have it coming, kid. Some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. The man don't want to get killed. Better clear on out the back. Unforgiven. That there is a classic 1992 crappy trailer. Crappy. Yeah. Doesn't really represent the movie. Too many gunshots, honestly. Like it's it's uh I don't know how you would do a western trailer really good though. It I mean, kinda, it needs it feels like it needs to be a little darker. It bugs me whenever uh trailers you like a movie has a good score. And then the trailer chooses to not use the movie score, but use some sort of generic hokey kind of thing. This movie has a great score and I think perfectly encapsulates the mood of the movie. And they could have used that, but instead they use this kind of like. Yeah. And make it feel like it's like a silly movie. They want it to feel action packed, probably. Clint Eastwood's most violent movie yet. <laughs> it's not based on the Metallica song. Yeah. I wonder, I, I should have looked into like if James Hetfield was like, hey, mm. I, that's my title. And they didn't ask me to be in it. <laughs> I would have been happy to do a song. If they had worked it in, 
in a Western sort of kind of like the way um, Westworld does it, where it's mm-hmm. like on the honky tonk piano. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Can you see a version where they pull it off and it and it works really well? <laughs> Maybe if somebody was playing it I'd on love the to piano, see it. I think it would have been cool. I'd love to see it, but I can't say mm-hmm. that it would pull it off. Did you notice that that was actually a blending of the Unforgiven and the Unforgiven Two? Mm. What? Mm-hmm. Metallica has. Oh, I think this movie. The at Unforgiven po- and The Unforgiven 2. At this point, if you're not blending multiple songs into your opening, I, I something's wrong. <laughs> I just love them both. I think they're both great songs, and I was like, I want to put both of them in there. Did you make that from scratch, or did you mm-hmm. rip it? Wow. All from scratch, baby. Nice. That's a Logic Pro. You should just come out with an al- like a Weird Al-style yeah. album of all the songs It's been pretty fun to like get to, to go try to figure out how to make all these songs that I love. I told Corey that most of the time I have to go back and I have to start like, as I'm making them, I have to listen to it repeatedly and like listen to what the instruments sound like and stuff to make sure I get it right. But for last week's episode for seven for closer, all from the dome, didn't even pull the song up. That's how completely, many you to that completely song? from scratch. That's how in my bones. That's crazy. That song. Is. Nine Inch Nails is. I wonder, can you give AI a piece of music and say, recreate this for me? Uh, I mean, if sure you could, if you could ability. like plug it into like a logic or a, uh, or a, I challenge you for the next song at the very least to take a movie and take a song and give it to AI and tell it to write lyrics for you. I've It'd tried be so bad. It never works. You tried? I've tried using chat GPT <laughs> for so many different things that it never fuck. It's dumb. I have to be honest. Chat GPT is dumb. Depends yeah. on how you use it. Here's for a, here, creative there, things I think it is bad like when I was trying to figure out I think it was maybe Sex Lies and Videotape I was like t- give me a list of song titles that are seven syllables long because Sex Lies and Videotape is seven syllables and all it did was give me song titles that were anything but seven syllables long and I retyped it in about seven different times of like only seven syllables in the song title here are song titles that are only seven syllables and it would be like lean on me what the fuck? You don't know what a syllable. And I would say, do you know what a syllable is? Yes. Oh, sorry. And it would apologize and stuff. Yeah. And just give me wrong shit constantly. Huh. It's that's surprising. it's failed me. And I've tried to have it write me lyrics and stuff too mm. when I've been like in a pinch. Don't be mean to it. It's listening. Yeah. It's gonna come. It's and gonna get remember. You. You. It doesn't yeah. know anything. You put your phone number in when it's you gonna sign be like. Up. You didn't think I was smart then. I'm smart. <laughs> I now. heard you talking about me on your podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh, you listen. Send them a possess. Uh, I mean, this movie rocks. It rocks. This movie's good. Yeah, I love it. I feel like the word after watching it and knowing everything that I know about Clint Eastwood and everything, the the word that comes to mind with this movie is effortless. Yeah, because it's just it doesn't feel like it's trying hard, but it's just knocking it out of the park every step yeah. of the way. Everybody's a, so good, a too. A far cry from the director he is today. <laughs> well, I would say he's effortless still. He's just not effortlessly yeah, he's not knocking him out of the effort park. into his <laughs> movies a, anymore. Yeah, yeah. And this has that feel. And I, you know, you talk about the actors, all three of these actors, the lead actors, Morgan Freeman, Clint Eastwood, and Gene Hackman, are all on the record as being like, totally instinctual actors like they're not the kind of actors that want to like talk about their roles too much they're not method they just they show up i love it i love it they do their job they react in the moment and then they go and have drinks afterwards love these characters all feel so lived in because it's like them just being themselves as a director clint eastwood would not 
uh, allow cars on set. So right. in that sense, as a director, he wants oh, really? a little keeping bit it of, authentic. Yeah, like yeah. doesn't want to see a car. But everybody knows he's to take Clint. Mm -hmm. That's I, his reputation. I love that. You don't though. go past That's the like two. Greta Gerwig on Lady Bird. She didn't allow any cell phones on set. Yeah, I get it. I think it's doing things like that are good. Yeah. Keeping it authentic. Mm. Uh, do you remember like when you first saw this movie? Yes. It was a recommendation of a friend when I worked at uh, a company. GNC. Own close. <laughs> Whole Foods. After GNC. Whole Foods was my first job. What was my first job? Bar Louie. Back in the suburbs after I left U of I. Uh, it wasn't like a, a protein shop, like a that was pill high school. Shop? That oh. was high school before leaving. Hmm, I'm drawing a blank. Those clothing only... store. Yep. Oh, was it Express Jeans? A Abercrombie. Close. Uh, 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 um, uh, Hollister. Think older demographic than Hollister. Banana yeah. Republic. <laughs> no, but it's Abercrombie's version of Banana Republic. Abercrombie's version of Banana. Was Republic. it just called Finch? Lamer than that. Hmm. J. Crew. No, you don't remember Rule. Rule. No. That was Abercrombie's third store. I didn't really shop so Abercrombie. Hollister for preteens. Abercrombie. God, I remember how loud the music used to be in mm -hmm. Hollister, and it was dark. So Hollister and Abercrombie and and Rule were all the same owner owners. Yes. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. Did they have models outside of Rule oh, like they did at Abercrombie? And the model is the one who told me about Unforgiven. Wow. Ooh. Were they shirtless models? He was shirtless. Yeah. Wow. Wait, were you? Were, what were you doing? I was recruited, but not to stand outside naked <laughs> with my shirt off. Uh, just to, a folder, you know, yeah. like, oh, you look like you would be a really good folder. Yeah, but to get recruited for one of those places, you're yeah. doing something Let's right. Let's put you in the back where people can't see you. <laughs> you had to be in the back? You couldn't get to fold on the shelves? I was all over, but it was mostly just like folding, right. uh, customer service. And one of those models told you about this. Yeah, so I would, I liked him. I would hang out with him out front. We would chit chat. He was a big movie buff. So we would talk about movies. And he asked me if I had seen the, uh, if I had seen Unforgiven. And mm -hmm. I was like, no. And he... I was like, I'm not a big West. I wasn't a Western fan at that point. Right. Uh, definitely not a Clint Eastwood fan. Never saw Dirty Harry. Never still. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've still seen Dirty Harry. Mm. Um, it's it's last on my list, but I'll get to it eventually. Last on your list is and you've seen every other Clint Eastwood movie? No, it's just it doesn't interest me. Sure. It feels like a piece of movie history that yeah. I should see. Yeah. But everything I have seen about it, I don't think I'm going to enjoy it particularly. Mm -hmm. So I'm not rushing out to see it. Did you have a Western phase in your life? Do you like Westerns? Once I saw Once Upon a Time in in the West. Then you went through a phase. That made me realize I've been missing out. Kind of the spaghetti Westerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, we're drinking spaghetti right now. That's true. We are. We're sipping on some spaghetti. Corey, do you like Westerns? I don't know. What's your Western take? I feel like I don't know enough Westerns, haven't seen enough Westerns. This is the first time I've ever seen this movie. I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. I feel like you tolerate Westerns pretty well. I feel based like there's the a couple Westerns you. that you showed me. Like, what was the one I brought up while we were watching Once this? Upon a Time in the West. Oh, Once Upon a Time in the West is great. I really liked that one. Um, you like Hateful Eight? Yes, but that's a little different. You like Django Unchained? Okay, but these are Quentin Tarantino movies. I feel like you can't. <laughs> those, those are a category of its own. Yeah, you've never seen like Good, Bad, and the Ugly. You've never seen A no. Fistful of Dollars. Was Paul Newman in Westerns or no? Um, yeah, he was in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Okay, I, I do really want to watch that. It's a good one. Um, 
I really want to see that one. Mm-hmm. Do you consider Tarantino one's westerns? Yeah, but it's the same thing like saying, oh, I love martial arts movies because I've only ever seen Kill Bill. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like when Tarantino is just like his own category at this right. point. But sure, I mean, I love his two versions of westerns. Mm-hmm. Did we already talk about Django on this pod? Never. So Yeah, we did when we mentioned Spike Lee doesn't like it. Oh, I guess we yeah we kind well, of well. I I I mean more so that it plays on TV constantly, mm-hmm. like on regular cable. We realized this when we were visiting Jack's dad because Jack's dad has cable, and that it was always on TV. And not only is it always on, but more often than not, you get hooked into every just single time. Mm-hmm. So we have it's, there's something that magnetizes. I, I got hooked a couple it. of times while we were visiting, and then we have YouTube TV, and we'll leave the TV on for Henry when we leave because I don't know it makes us feel less guilty. But Django Unchained within the past like two weeks has been mm-hmm. on every time that I've come back and every single time I've gotten sucked in for at least a 45 minute chunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's believable. It's so good. Like, like, when when your parents came to town and we just had like the TV on, uh-huh. I want to say we watched the last like half of Django Unchained three Because the times. last half is so fucking thrilling. <laughs> You're just like, I, do, I just want to see him get revenge. It's crazy because it's never been one of my favorite Tarantinos, but there's just something about it that like does pull you in, especially if you're just like got the TV on. Mm-hmm. And maybe I think part all of his that movies is the do. West, I'm sure, but maybe that is part of the Western vibe, like the... I don't know. You know, the good guy's going to prevail. It's just or, one of those yeah. movies where you're like, well, I know another good scene's going to come up right yeah. after this. So I kind of want to watch that scene. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. there's just and another Jamie one Fox after that. is, wow. The most historically accurate movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of revisionist history, this movie is is a revisionist Western. That's sort of part of this uh, Unforgiven's reputation. What is that? What do you mean? Meaning that like it's presenting like an opposition to traditional Western myth. How does that make it revisionist though? Well, that's just the term that they, you apply to any genre that's taking tropes of a genre and critiquing them. So you can do revisionist noir if you're like critiquing the tropes of the mm. film noir. So critics' interpretations of this movie is that it's it's actually critiquing a lot of the traditional tropes of a Western, where it's like, normally you would just love this hero and be like, go kill everybody. But this movie makes a point of being like, he was a terrible person and he killed people Without I still thought. was like at the end. I was like, sympathy. Go fucking I know. Get I was standing out of my yeah. fucking yeah. seat. I was like, get him, Clint. Kill him. Kill him all. Kill him all. And that all the stuff of this movie of people like the the myth behind every character ends up kind of being not true. And Except it's all, for with Clint. And with Clint's character, it's worse. It's yeah, like the things true. that people have heard. He actually killed more women and more children and more people in these situations. He's Anything like a truly that has bad guy. Crawled at one point or another, <laughs> yeah. he's killed. He's killed. But when he starts, which we'll get when we talk about the movie, but when he finds out they killed Morgan Freeman and he starts just, you just see him slowly start drinking that whiskey. I was getting so pumped. That is the turning point. I mean, the whole movie is good. Yeah. When she rides up, first of all, that whole scene leading up to her riding up. That was the shocking part of the movie to me. I was not shocked. The boy the, turning. The cock, cock, that thing. No. The cock, cock. The the, the gun not cocking. Yeah. Um. (laughs) that's not the shock for me and jack you said that you were surprised you thought that you were you were surprised i just forgot that it misfires my memory was he goes in blows everyone away (laughs) well the shock to me was that morgan freeman gets killed Mm -hmm. i was not expecting that yeah 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 that was shocking to me. Well, yeah, that whole we'll get to it. But the the scene (laughs) where the woman is riding up for a long time and you get the a scene between the two of them where the kid is saying 
kind of gleefully that he like shot him three times and but killed him. Uh, but it's false. Like it's a false and then he because he immediately crying. starts exactly. crying. Yeah. Is like brilliant. He's totally yeah. emotionally affected by that it. scene primes me. Yeah. It gets my eyes. I'm not I'm I, I may be a little <laughs> bit crying at this point, yeah. but it like gets me wet in my eyes. And then she rides up. As opposed and, to your. Yeah. What, can you explain your pussy line in the yeah, opening song? Yeah, what the fuck was that? Before we move on. The script made Clint Eastwood's pussy purr? Yes. Yeah. Well, he... it's a, it's one, I needed something that rhymed with spurs. Uh-huh. He hung up his spurs. And, you know, to it's kind of like a, to make your kitty cat purr, to turn you on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But he I doesn't said, actually, like, have a cat or like cats. <laughs> no, nah, just it felt better than being mm-hmm. like, made his penis hard. <laughs> <laughs> Try it. Um, yeah. And the violence thing is also part of the revisionist thing, where it's like this movie makes you feel every violent act in it. Every violent mm-hmm. act in this movie has a not only a repercussion that is fairly realistic, but also has like an emotional repercussion to all the characters. Like there's extreme guilt that Clint Eastwood clearly feels about his past violence. And this kid who's boasting the whole movie that he's a killer not only turns out to be lying, but when he does actually finally get to kill, it affects him so much that he's like, I don't want to be a killer anymore. We <laughs> all know such a little boy. Clint mm-hmm. Eastwood is is a, conser- a known conservative. Correct. Uh, but he is he a gun nut the way Charlton Heston is? I don't think so. Okay. Because it was very... I mean, this movie, coming from the mind of Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. was is very... Progressive. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, In a it, lot of different ways. It's not an anti-gun movie by any stretch of no, the imagination, no. but he is basically saying, like, you know, when you pull the trigger, yeah, uh, you take away a man's life, everything he has and everything he will have. To that mm. point, a lot of people have called this an anti-violence movie, and I don't agree with that because I don't feel like any movie that is violent is truly anti-violence yeah. because like we just talked about, by the time he goes to the dark side, and he's going to go murder everybody, we are rooting tooting for it. And I think you so is Clint, an it's Clint Eastwood exactly. is too. He knows what he's doing. But what I think the movie does is it's it's asking you to think about it. I think that's the best you can do. It's not doing it flippantly. It's not just giving you violence that goes in one ear and out the other ear. Every piece of violence in this movie, including the exciting ending, it is asking you to meditate on and think of why you're excited yeah. about it or why you're well, horrified. It's how I want violence to be handled exactly. in movies. Mm-hmm. You, no one is calling for a boycott of violence no. in movies. Um, movies is where violence should be. You yes. can you can be against violence in real life and for violence in movies because that's what movies are for. But it but it's it's violence that that's handled in a way that is not. It's considered. dumb. It's yeah. smart. It's intelligent. Yeah. It makes you think there's existential and philosophical questions that come from it, which is not normally you know that most John Wayne westerns don't have any sort of moment where John Wayne considers what the fuck did I just do killing that person? It's always a very clear cut, right or wrong. The hero walks in, Mm -hmm. takes down the bad guy. This movie has moral ambiguity up the wazoo. Even Gene Hackman's character, who is super sadistic, also has plenty of moments where you're like, well, he's trying to keep the peace in this town. Mm -hmm. And he does like, you know, at the end of the movie, when he says, I don't deserve this, I believe he believes he doesn't deserve it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, he's not trying, but he is also. Well, when he's a like telling guy. the real story of, what's his name? British Bob? Or English Bob. English Bob. Mm-hmm. 
that that scene you are kind of on Gene Hackman's side. I feel oh, like yeah. when you're he's exposing yeah, that, that wins like you a, over. It does to win him you over. That's like bit. the first scene where I'm like, oh, and his okay. house, him building, yeah, and being house. a bad carpenter yeah. is an endearing, <laughs> yeah, cute quality that mm-hmm. this man sure. possesses. And if you really think about Clint Eastwood's character, like the movie makes it pretty clear he has murdered women and children. Yeah, yeah. he says it, and so it's like. We are on his side, but it's because we haven't actually witnessed him doing those things. But if we keep in mind it, like he is a bad guy in this movie. Hackman wants law and order. Mm -hmm. He did not fairly avenge the women. Mm -mm. He let them go Mm -hmm. relatively unpunished and then is going out of his way to protect them. But that is under also under, you know, uh, his definition of law and justice is probably flawed. Yeah. But, you know, well, and he, he, he's thinking, I don't, there's, don't put a bounty on someone's head and yeah. call yeah. all these violent killers to our community. And he does also abuse his power multiple times. Of course, yeah. He's, he's clearly a corrupted police officer, pol- yeah. police force. There's also a take, too, that Clint Eastwood is also kind of commenting on his own career that yeah. in the same way that his character is repenting for kind of the mm-hmm. sins of his youth totally there's a version where clint eastwood is looking at his history of violent cinema and being like this is my atonement i believe that myself i mean you can't not look at his character in this movie and think about the man with no name in the sergio leone trilogy you can't think about pale rider and outlaw josie wales mm-hmm. which are movies that he is killing ruthlessly without any sort of second thought about it from his part or the movie's part. Same thing with Dirty Harry. I mean, Dirty Harry was a cop character that went around killing anybody he wanted to. And so I think there is a sense of like, he's getting older, he's in his twilight years. And something about this script, I think did speak to him of like, hmm, this is an interesting way of thinking about this genre that I had a lot to do with creating this mythology of it. And I'm going to sort of de-romanticize it. Yeah. Yeah. This was written by David Webb Peoples. He also co-wrote Blade Runner. He wrote 12 Monkeys. He wrote it back in the 70s. The original title for this movie was The Cut Whore Killings, which obviously that got changed. It sounds like something you would read in an old paperback. Like I'm reading a book called The Cut Whore Killings. Just not a movie title. Unforgiven is also an insanely good title. It's It's just cool. Um, the script had been around since the 70s. Coppola, at one point in time, wanted to make it. He he wanted John uh, Malkovich to play the role of William Money. Huh. Yeah, I don't think it would have worked out well because no. he's not a. He doesn't seem like I've a... killed women and children, <laughs> every living thing that walks. And this is the second time uh, the Fly episode. He was also considered for uh, the Jeff Goldblum role too. So this is a little bit of a connection to the Fly. Clint had the script for a long time. He was like in his desk for decades. He even had like a script reader one time read it and they told him, don't even worry about the script. It sucks. But he pulled it out in like 1990 and was like, hey, I like this thing. I'm going to make it. Uh, He ended up rewriting it a few times, but then ultimately decided to scrap all of his rewrites and just go with the original draft of the script, kind of like seven last week's episode. Uh, Morgan Freeman actively sought out the part. He wanted to work with Clint. At this point in time, Morgan Freeman was had just popped. He had done Driving Miss Daisy, which he won an Academy Award, and he had done Glory. And he had been around for years and years and years, but had always been just like a, that wasn't a household name. It wasn't until Driving Miss Daisy that people knew who he was. So this was kind of one of his first, I'm coming out of winning an Academy Award. I want to do some good shit. This was the next one, basically. Great choice. Right after this, he would do Shawshank, and then he would do Seven. Damn. 
pretty pretty solid run. Could you imagine rapping on Shawshank and being like, "Yeah, I just did that." Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now I'm gonna go do we a, a have serial to killer. Do Shawshank yeah. at some point because we talk about it almost every episode. <laughs> it's too good not to do. If we're gonna do Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> we damn well better do Shawshank. Uh, Clint Eastwood wanted Gene Hackman, but Gene Hackman originally did not want to do this movie because at this point in time. He was very anti-violence and very anti-gun. And he, when he read the script, he was like, it's just too violent. I don't want to do it. And Clint Eastwood actually had to like call him up and be like, look, you know, I want you to reread it. And I want you to think about this the way I'm thinking about it, which is that it's meant to be a critique of, of violence in Westerns. And after having that conversation with him, Clint Eastwood, or, uh, Gene Hackman was like, okay, I like it better now. I'll do it. How did you watch the movie? DVD. Same copy as yours. Rented from the library. I, I would have to say this might be one of the worst transfers I've ever Bad. seen in my life. Yeah, I mean, this I, is old. This is one of those Warner Brothers snapper cases, literally zero special features. They call scene selection a special feature on mm-hmm. this. And yeah, the transfer <laughs> looks like boo-boo. Doo-doo. I will say th- I got used to it. You know, I did, got used to it. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I think, I, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to hold my tongue on this, but I, I think this might be the first time on the pod where... I am probably going to buy the 4K mm. Blu-ray of this. Nice. I think I want to watch it again immediately. Yeah. And I want to see it in a better condition than... Because so- a lot of this movie is very dark. Yeah. The DP, Jack Green, he would like go into these locations uh, without any crew or camera people, and he would just light them the way they would be lit in the time. Mm. So if this room would only be lit by a lantern or a candle or just the window, he would take note of how it looks to his eye and he would try to light for that in the camera. And so in turn, a lot of these scenes, especially at the end, are quite dark. The whole showdown is a very, very dark sequence. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was missing anything, but I definitely felt like I would see more in a 4K transfer. This movie is number 68 on AFI's top 100 films of all time. 68? Mm. Number 68. It won four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman, and Mm. Best Editing by Joel Cox. This is Clint Eastwood's 36th movie role and his 15th directing. That's insane. 15 15 movies he's directed. before this one. And before this, he had never once been nominated for anything for the Academy Awards. Never been nominated as an actor, never been nominated as a director. He has some problematic statements about how he had sworn off uh, expecting to get an Oscar. He basically said, I don't think I'm ever going to get an Oscar. And the interviewer said, why? He said, well, one, I'm not Jewish. (gasps) Two, I'm too rich. And three, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) When did he say this? Um, Back in like the 80s. He said it to Playboy magazine. Mm. Yeah, he was 61 when when he made this movie. Usually when people are that old... And they've been around for as long. They've had the longest career that he's had. And uh-huh. they suddenly get an Academy Award. It's usually sort of like a makeup. Like, oops, we should have given you this a long time ago. Yeah. And it's usually for a movie that maybe isn't their best movie. I don't think that's the case in this. I think this no. movie at this point in time was his best movie and was completely deserved of the Academy. I don't think this was like a makeup. How thing. do you feel compared to the other nominees? So the other nominees were Scent of a Woman, mm-hmm. The Crying Game. Howard's in a few good men and a few good men. Ooh, give it to it. Give it to Unforgiven. I yeah. think it wins. Yeah, I mean, a few good men, good men also, is great. Also plays on TV. Constantly. But the thing is, is a few good men is just a fun yeah. movie. Like Unforgiven is like really like about shit. It's special. Was yeah. Gene Hackman yeah. up against Jack Nicholson? 
Yes, for Best Supporting Actor. Wow, and, that's and, kind of, that's harder. Best movie, I definitely think Unforgiven. Best performance, I don't know, that's hard. And another notable thing about that Academy Awards, Al Pacino was up for Best Actor for Scent of a Woman and Best Supporting Actor for Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Damn. Which had only been done one wait, other time wait, before. Wait, 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 Justin and everybody on the pod, I saw Al Pacino. Oh, yeah. This is crazy. Wow. Yes, okay, so I was walking past this little um, deli and I was like, um, that's fucking Al Pacino. Like, I just knew it was In him. the deli? Or... He was sitting outside at a table. Uh-huh. Old as fuck looking <laughs> old as fuck. He's old. Um, Hunched over. And he was like with another man. And so I was like, I got to do another loop to just like make sure. And I did. I turned back around and looped back. Saw him. He was sitting um, at a table with a man with a huge script in front of him. And the script was called Killing Castro. I got to look at the script. So he's definitely playing Castro in a movie whenever the strikes end. Which obviously. I think is based off of a novel that I, because I Googled it and it looks like Killing Castro is a novel. Um, yeah. And he was just like working on like lines or character or something like that. Al Pacino. That's a good celeb sighting. It is. Nice. It is good. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk more about Unforgiven. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Cinema Possessed, and we are talking Unforgiven. The movie. Not the song. Not the song. Um, this movie has a great opening shot. The music that opens this movie, written by Clint Eastwood. What? Isn't that fucking crazy? Wow. He wow. wrote this opening uh, theme, the Claudius theme. He is a jazz pianist, self-taught. Oh. I like him more and more with every minute this he, podcast goes on. Without credit, does a lot of music for his movies, but he doesn't ever take any credit for it. And this was one of them. And it's the most memorable theme in the fucking movie. He wrote it on a guitar. And the fact that he's a jazz musician, I think kind of tells you about that's how his directing style is. Because as a jazz musician, you have to be, it's all instinct. It's all improvisation. And it sounds like that's kind of the way he is both as an actor and as a director. It's mm. just sort of like, I'll just see how it goes. Mm. Let's get some good sleep. We'll get there. We'll try to rap early. Get more sleep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just looking on his Wikipedia because I was wondering if he was married. And under children, it says on Wikipedia, Lots. 
Just at says le- lots. It says at least eight. <laughs> yeah. That's what it says. At yeah. least eight. This man has one spread more, his seed. One more than Neo. <laughs> we recently talked about Green Mile and how there's like bookends in that movie mm-hmm. that one could argue is not only stupid, but <laughs> unnecessary yeah. for the film. Right. And I was trying to look at looking at these bookends. Now, bookend, you mean like these the opening text? Crawl? Yeah, the text, yeah. just specifically the very short yeah. opening text about his wife. wife's mother and how she never really understood Basically why. Basically how he had an awesome wife and yeah. she died and nobody understood why she was she married, married to him. Yeah, because he was a, a, a thief, bastard. a killer, a uh, criminal. And the movie kind of ends in the same way of like, mm-hmm. you know, he's moved on and the mother visits. and But still nobody knows why she married that fucking asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Me too. I don't know. I thought that it worked really well. Yeah. Apparently that that's the only thing that was rewritten about the script is it was some sort of different opening narration and, and Clint Eastwood rewrote that thing. But yeah, I think it's pretty smart. Uh, so then we go to Big Whiskey. We are. This is the main town of this movie. It's storming like a bitch. I love how stormy this movie is. When it gets stormy, it's great. So much of that final sequence to me is like the sound design of just the rain and thunder. It works mm-hmm. so well. Uh, we're in a brothel, and um, this cowboy gets pissed off and starts cutting up the face of a sex worker. Her name is Delilah. She's played by Anna Thompson. <laughs> Sex worker, though. The politically correct term of the time period, 1895. (laughs) Whore. (laughs) Apparently, she laughed at his dick. Uh, she just gave it a little giggle because it Tiny was small. Pecker. That that is the most brutal scene of the whole movie is when he they cannot stop him from cutting up her yeah. face. It's the it's the scariest act of violence for sure. Yeah, and it's these two cowboys. We never really get to know their names. Davy, Davy's the oh, that's right. Davy is the one, the one who didn't do it, the innocent one. I know who's trying like, to stop him. I feel bad. Davy had to get killed. I love it. I love the moral ambiguity of it. It's real murky. Don't have shitty friends. Yeah. It's true. How do you not know that your friend is capable of doing yeah. something like that? Though? Well, according to Little Bill, these are good guys. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're not bad guys. Yeah. So they call Little Bill, who's the sheriff of the town, played by Gene Hackman. And of course, fucking the owner of the brothel named Skinny. Ugh, he's such a creep. He's like, I want payment for my property. They hurt my... They, he refers to Delilah as his property and doesn't really give a shit about the fact that her face is all sliced up. Well, at first, my... F- Feeling, I thought, I thought he was thing. pulling whatever he could to help the situation. I thought the yeah. same thing, but no, and he's a it bastard. Backf- it backfired, yeah. but he's then no, he's a he's a bastard. Yeah, but Francis Fisher, who plays Strawberry Alice, who's sort of like the Madame. Of she the is such a badass. She's instantly the mom like from Titanic. She's like fucking hang these guys. Yeah. And little Bill Gene Hackman is gonna whip them at first, but then he kind of thinks about it and he's like, okay, give. Skinny some ponies and we'll call it square. And Strawberry Alice is like, you ain't even going to fucking whip them? He's like, enough violence has been done tonight. What, do you want to see some more bloodshed? She's like, yes, I fucking do. Yeah. She's such a badass though. She goes after them all the time. It, that's, I think that's another turn. Like you don't see that kind of badassery from women characters in Westerns, especially at the time. Yeah. They ain't bad men. They're just hardworking boys who were foolish. Ugh. Piece of shit. The women end up gathering together. And they pool all their money and they come up with a thousand bucks. 
And they put out a fucking hit on these two guys, both of them. Not even just the guy that slashed the face, but uh, Davey too. And yeah, there's a great scene where they come back and they try to like repay it by giving, they give Skinny all his horses, but then they bring an extra special horse for Delilah. But Strawberry Alice is like, take your horse and Go shove it up your yourself. fucking ass. When she turns away that pony, I'm like, well, let the girl. Okay, That's I said, said the same thing. I was like, take the damn <laughs> take horse. Take the damn horse. I know, take it. <laughs> But Jack was like, nah, she's got to say, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, it's like, they just put a bounty on this guy's head. They're not going to take a gift I would. I'd be like, let me get your gift, and I'm going to murder your ass. It's the morality of it. And the the girl whose face was cut didn't even have a chance to speak. That was the only thing. I want... I want to know what she thinks. Sure. That's uh, her name, uh, uh, Delilah's Anna Thompson. I know her from The Crow. And she's also at the beginning of True Romance. Mm -hmm. Oh. Uh, she pops not up in a the, lot of stuff. Not the first, not the only actor from True Romance in this movie. Saul Rubinick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the whole time. I think the makeup department could have been done a better job of yeah. this of the cuts on her face because, like, we keep being like references, like, "Oh, she's so ruined. She's so pretty. They look like little scratches." They on could her. definitely she be more hotter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Honestly, it makes her interesting looking. Yeah. No, I, I wanted it to be a little bit more gruesome. But also, I really like the actor that plays Skinny, Anthony James. Great face on that guy. Who's skinny? He's the brothel yeah. owner. Ugh, I hate him, but yes. But he's good. good. Yeah, 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 yeah. They built this town in Calgary, uh, which we've been to before. Wasn't it Alberta? I saw both things. I, mm. I, I assume they probably shot in both places. Interesting thing, the studio wanted Clint Eastwood to film this movie in Canada, but Clint Eastwood works with the same crew on every movie. He considers his crew his family. Many people on his crew have worked with him since the 60s. That's incredible. Costumers, props. Vehicle people, animal wranglers. He uses the same people. Cinematographer Jack Green had this was his fifth film with Clint Eastwood at the time, and obviously when you shoot out of the country, places they require you in order to get the tax incentives and stuff require to use local crew. And so he was like, "Well, I can't shoot in Canada because they won't let me use my crew." Canada was like, "Here's what we'll do: for anybody on your crew that can prove that they've worked with you on at least five films, we will waive." Wow. The thing and will let them be a part of your crew. Over 50 people on his crew got the waiver. That's rad. Wow. Which I think is nice. Reading up about this movie, I'm like, Clint Eastwood's had the right ideas about making movies. You know, it was like he has long lunch breaks. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't work people too hard. He keeps it in the family. Like, it seems like he's a nice director to work for. I like Clint. Me too. <laughs> The movie was shot in 39 days. It came in four days ahead of schedule, which is another thing that Clint Eastwood does. He comes in under budget and under schedule. So then we get to meet Will Money, who is Clint Eastwood's character. He's now a pig farmer with a couple of kids. A buffoon. He's yeah, not he's very a good fool, at it. He's falling on his ass. He's, he's getting rocked by these pigs in the mud. Yeah. A couple of the pigs apparently are sick and they ain't going to have a very good year, it seems like. And this kid comes riding up to his property named the Schofield Kid. He's played by James Wolvet. I like him. Me too. He was a Canadian actor that had never done anything before. Mm. I'm sure because they were shooting in Canada, Clint yeah. Eastwood was just the like, show one me and the only Canadian, yeah. Yeah. Show me some of the local talent. Yeah. Which he does often. Like if you look at the cast of his newer movies, like he'll pluck people out of the improv comedy scene and just mm-hmm. like people who, I think he likes working with people who um, aren't going to cause trouble. You know, who are going to be happy to be there and make the set nice. <laughs> and sometimes you get a good actor and sometimes you get a bad. He gets kind of critiqued, I think. Um, from stuff I read, people were kind of trashing this actor. I think he's oh, good. Yeah. I think he's really good in this. I think so, too. He goes, you don't look like no rootin' tootin' son of a bitch, cold-blooded assassin to me. He's like, I'm not about that life anymore. And he tells him about 
this girl that's been cut up in this town, Big Whiskey, and have already he's exaggerating the story. Mm-hmm. He says they cut her face all up, they cut off her ears, <laughs> they even cut off her teats and her eyes. Yeah, and her, her eyes. eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and and Will Money's like Jesus, damn. I mean, do you think Clint Eastwood would have not left his home had it not been that exaggerated? Well, I think it's he needs the money. He knows he's going to have a bad year and he wants to provide for his kids and he hears about that thousand bucks. Yeah. Split two ways, 500 I know, each. but then he, get, he tells Morgan Freeman, Morgan Freeman. Yeah. yeah. But he's repeating well, this fake story. Yes. You know? I think he, I think it's part of it. It's, he's on a redemption journey mm-hmm. through this whole movie and maybe part of him does feel like that's the kind of thing I would have done. Mm-hmm. back in my drinking days, back in my no good days. So maybe this is a way for me to sort of atone for my sins by going and righting a wrong. There's probably a little bit of yeah. that in there too. He sends him off. He doesn't agree to it at first, but then he starts to think about it and he's like, maybe I fucking should. Funny scene where he tries to, to shoot a can. He says he hasn't shot a gun in 11 years mm-hmm. and uh, he can't shoot for shit with the pistol. And we later learn it's because he was always fucking drunk before and it Good honestly foreshadowing like steadied here. his hand and so now that he's clean and sober funny he then goes marching back into the house he comes out with this big old shotgun and just blasts the can which will come back later on yes it, uh, the, there's several parts in this movie that i noticed that foreshadow the big mm-hmm. killing at the end like yep. dealing with guns in particular when we get to the gene hackman scene i'll bring mm-hmm. up what i'm talking about but i was like wow this is such an interesting way to layer in these really small things it's very smartly written that are all gonna come back mm-hmm. and pay off David everything Peoples. pays off so well in this movie david peoples how he much knows what he's doing how much aperol did you put in my spaghetti in my spaghetti? <laughs> the I feel, proper amount. I feel there's some sinister intentions here. You I feel you like feel fucked? Is I feel like you're that, doing this uh, for the pod. You is, want to loosen up your honestly, buddy. Honestly, I do feel and I don't know because I was is in the sun all day, alcoholic? But I feel tipsy from that yeah. one beer with a little yeah. bit of I'll aperol. tell you what, you went a little heavy with the pour to get good old Jay, hey, loose and I do what I gotta goosey. do. I didn't think Aperol I do it for the listeners. Strong, yeah. strong, but maybe it is. Honestly, the thing about Miller High Life is you can suck them down. <laughs> uh, funny, funny moment too, where um, the horse kind of tosses him around, like the horse doesn't like him, and he says that the horse is basically punishing him for how bad he treated animals those in the past. I know that I made me feel like, yeah. oh, what? I'm like, damn, your mother taught me the error of my ways. Yeah, yeah. she cured me of that sin too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. He was a What was yeah. he doing? But I just love, I love this. And I love how much they're setting him up as a man of contradictions. It's like what the, the stories mm-hmm, yeah. that we eventually come to hear versus what you're seeing. What you're seeing is just such a fun game. So yeah, there, I like that this concept, this is another thing that you don't really see in Westerns. You Westerns constantly have like bounties on people's heads, but never does a Western really reference to the fact that like a bounty would bring in Mm -hmm. unsavory people to your town. It does kind of have a Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven vibe to it also of like a small town in desperate need of help recruiting, you know, basically making a bounty Mm -hmm. of... um, It's a fun concept of like killers are coming to town. Yeah. It's honestly the way I feel anytime we put anything up on like Facebook Marketplace. Yeah. I feel like you could make a whole show <laughs> on this concept. Like you're about to get to the English yeah. Bob stuff. And I think the English that Bob. That show would suck ass. <laughs> <laughs> what? 
Because I'm just imagining like a John Wick style, like all the killers come to town. No, no, no. I just mean like in the same way that English Bob is, you're going to both say is awesome, an awesome scene. Yeah. 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 Imagine just more scenarios like that. Every yeah. week, the monster of the week is like an English bomb and that, coming to That's town. what I like about this movie is I think you could flip the perspective and Gene Hackman is the hero of the movie because yeah. he's just a sheriff trying to keep the peace of this town where all the shit is going awry. But this movie does a really smart thing of it's kind of a two-hander where you're constantly bouncing between Eastwood's point of view, yeah. who is the cold-blooded killer. It- and Gene Hackman's point of view, who is also a cold-blooded killer, but in a, st- a lawman phase but of his life too, now. The, but the movie also does take liberty to, to tell you mm-hmm. he killed Morgan Freeman on accident. That's oh. what they say. He didn't what? mean to kill him. Well, he was beating yeah. the yes, shit Yes, but he out didn't mean to kill him. He but was, then they put him up But then up he puts him up sign. for, it doesn't matter if you put him up yeah. for display. Yeah. But, you know, say, this you what happens double, to if you kill somebody, you better double down on the murder <laughs> yeah. you just did. <laughs> Gary, Gary, um, uh, George Glooney Hackman. Uh, Gene? <laughs> Gene Hackman. <laughs> We've had you half said, of us you said, you said, first you said Gary, but then you said George Glooney. <laughs> <laughs> I'm halfway through my spaghetti <laughs> spaghetti beverage, right? William Money decides he's going to do it. So he goes and he meets up with his old pal, Ned, played by Morgan Freeman, who is also a farmer and ha- seems to have a pretty decent life. He's yeah. got a Native American wife who's... She seems like she hates Clint Eastwood. She doesn't yeah. like him. She's already given him the evil eye, as he calls it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, hey, you don't want to come with me and I'll convince this kid to split the bounty five or three ways. And is he going to be cool with it if we split it three ways? And he was like, can you still shoot that rifle? And he says, I could still shoot the eye out of a bird flying. We also, in this sequence, get more of like the guilt that William Money has. He basically says to Ned, You don't realize I ain't like that no more. Well, you know, Will. I hate to say him, Ned. Claudia, she straightened me up. Cleared me of drinking whiskey and all. Just because we're going on this killing, that don't mean I'm going to go back to being the way I was. I just need the money. Get a new start for them youngsters. Yeah. Ned, you remember that drover I shot through the mouth and his teeth came out the back of his head? Yeah. I think about him now and again. He didn't do anything to deserve to get shot. At least nothing I could remember when I sobered up. The people I killed, they didn't deserve their deaths. At least nothing I can remember once I sobered up. So he's basically saying like he basically killed people when he was drunk and he doesn't even know why he killed them. He just murdered people cold blood. That life's behind me, Ned. Stupid question alert. Is unforgiven a real word? I think unforgivable. That's what I was going to say. But unforgiven is kind of just like a made up title. Maybe at one point in English history, it Mm -hmm. made sense grammatically. I don't think we use it anymore. How do you think it plays into this movie? Do you think that it implies that he was forgiven, and now he's and now he's like on the journey of unforgiving himself. Well, I think his wife forgave him and then died, so he's yeah. unforgiven. Right. Like the whole movie of when we come and meet him is like, is the work that she did with him actually 
make made him a changed man. Mm-hmm. And no, because he seems like a broken man right yeah. now. Or does it, he gets back out does there. the does the title Unforgiven imply that because of what he's done in the past, he will never be forgiven? I think it's all of those yeah. things. It's like he can you, search for atonement all he wants, yeah, but he'll never get you'll it. You'll never get it. No. Yeah. I mean, there Gene Hackman's line at the end, I'll see you in hell. And he says, he, yeah. Yeah. He knows. <laughs> yeah. I love that line. Um, you ever go into town, get you a woman? He's like, no, I don't do that for my wife. You know, she wouldn't like it. He's like, so you just use your hand? <laughs> And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then they start getting shot at. They don't know who it is at first. They jump off their horses. Morgan Freeman's like, who the fuck is he shooting at? He was shooting over here, but now he's shooting over there. Yeah. Now he's shooting at us again. And so Clint Eastwood realizes it's the kid. They agree to kind of join together. But Morgan Freeman's like, starts to kind of put the pieces together that the Schofield kid is black. Can't see more than fucking five feet in front of him. And the kid keeps claiming that he's killed five people. Exactly. But even that in that scene, too, he's like, you believe that kid killed five people? He's like, nah, they know because they're killers. They know what a killer looks like and they know he's all talk. Now that they're all a team, Schofield kid's blind. William Money can't even get on his fucking horse half the time. He's constantly getting fallen off and he can't shoot straight. So he's handicapped, too. What I wanted was to for Morgan Freeman to have a handicap, too. So they're they're like this motley crew, like we're following these three assassins who are going to go save the day, but all of them kind of suck. Well, and that did, does kind of happen. Morgan Freeman, yeah, his conscience. He starts crying. Yes, but that's not really said. That happens like way later on in the movie. It's not set up here. Not like I wanted way, him to be like a drunk or something. He keeps trying to get Clint Eastwood to drink some whiskey, and Clint Eastwood keeps turning it down. Like, and he three, keeps trying to get Clint Eastwood to like to go sex. get a lady. So I wanted it to like play that up a little bit more. Like maybe he's a little drunker all the time, and maybe he's a little bit. You know what I mean? Just so mm-hmm. that there's like a sloppiness to all three of them that makes it kind of fun we're watching these like grizzled I don't think you have much confidence I mean it, I, as is you don't have that much confidence in them as a trio I, I agree I agree but he all we keep hearing about Morgan Freeman is that he can shoot the balls off of a bird flying in the air and so he sounds like a total badass I kind of wanted to like undercut that a little bit that would just be my script notes to to David Peoples <laughs> hey give him something else yeah. <laughs> just so that they're all kind of scrappy you know what uh-huh. I mean so yeah, then English Bob comes to Big Whiskey. English Bob is basically this bullshit artist cowboy who is a killer and has a myth and a reputation. He's literally being followed around by this a scribe. Yeah, this guy who's like documenting him yeah. named W.W. Beauchamp, played by Sal Rubinek. English Bob is played by Richard his Harris. Disgu- his mannerisms are disgusting. Mm-hmm. He's Who's? so slimy. Which one? The writer. Okay. Beauchamp. Yeah. English Bob represents the version of the Western hero that mm-hmm. this movie is critiquing. And Beauchamp represents the the fuck faces who tell that story. You know what I mean? Who exaggerate yeah. it. Who He, he kind of reminds me of like um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in Natural Born Killers, mm-hmm. Wine Guile. Who's like just interested in exploiting the killers for the story? You know, the blood gets the sales kind sure. of stuff. I think that's part of it. I I think of like you know folklore, ancient uh, fantasy, medieval sort of tales of bars. I think he's also kind of being tricked by English Bob. Oh, like sure. I think that he believes yeah. everything. He, yeah. He's Bob buying into all the bullshit. Yeah, but it's like it's a it's a bard following the yeah. the medieval knight. 
gallantly slaying dragons and rescuing princesses and writing yes. the tales, but exaggerating magnificently, right. you know, along the way. And as we end up seeing, Beauchamp yeah. kind of bounces yeah. from whatever interesting person he can he thinks is more interesting. And so he yeah. ends up bouncing to, to Gene Hackman, right. and at the yeah. end he tries to bounce to Clint Eastwood. Do you like Richard Harris? Yeah, I think he's good. I don't think it's the most memorable Yeah, I think it's, role it's, for me. it's a... It's a compelling the part writer? for him. No, the English Bob. Yeah, he's oh, Dumbledore. He's Marcus. He's Dumbledore. He's Dumbledore before he what? passed away. Yeah. I did not realize that. Marcus Aurelius in Gladiator. Wow. He's King Arthur in Camelot. Maybe he comes into town on a total high horse. Well, but also the detail I like before this is all the deputies uh-huh. of the town are getting together, loading yeah. their guns, getting ready, and one of them asks, "Where's Lil Bill?" Guys, I know he's working on his house. He's a shit carpenter. And he's like, is he coming? He's like, I don't know. He didn't say. And he's like, you think he's scared? Yeah. And that sets it up in your mind. Like, oh, is he going to show up? Like, I. And they're scared. Yeah. Yeah. Because one of the guys is like, it's okay if we're scared. Like, we should be. You know, there's killers (laughs) coming to town. Yeah. Not. uh, Yeah. We've never seen him face somebody like Mm -hmm. this before. Yeah. How do we know the stories of him are true? Right. Yeah. It's all about stories. Because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. It's fucking great. And so then the next scene just cuts. He gets out of the barber and Gene Hackman's there and you're like, shit. He showed up. He first takes all of his guns and then decides to like make a point, like set an example with him and just beats the Mm -hmm. ever loving shit out of him in the middle of the road so that everybody can see. Again, he's all he's using his police power brutally. To set examples, to scare, he's like fear tactic mm-hmm. stuff. I like that line when uh, Richard Harris is like, "Oh, you, you, um, you got rid of your beard," and he was like, "I was tasting my soup two weeks after <laughs> yeah. I drank it." Yeah, there's a lot of there's a like in that scene you were mentioning yeah. too. There's like a guy who's like, "Would you rather be shot in the cold or in the heat?" Because mm-hmm. you know how like when you stump your toe in the cold, it like hurts like hell. You yeah. Know? Good scene too, where uh, Gene Hackman is talking to W. W. Beauchamp's who is writing this book on English Bob called The Duke of Death. The Duck of Death. Yeah, he keeps calling it The Duck of Death, which at first you think it's just because maybe he's illiterate, he can't read. Duck, I says. Yeah, he's purposefully (laughs) calling him The Duck of Death. And it's all based around like this one incident where he shot this guy named like Two Gun Tony or something. And there's all this mythology around it, but Gene Hackman's character was actually there that day. And he tells Beauchamp the real story. And the real story basically is that this two gun Tony guy was drunk. He has a big dick. Yeah. The size of two guns. Yeah. Was sleeping with somebody that little that uh English was Bob was sweet on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. English Bob shot at him first. Missed. Missed. Yeah. Then he shot himself in the foot. Then he pulled his gun and it blew up in his hand. Yes. And it blew so his hand off. Very unfortunate for him. And yeah. English Bob was basically able to just walk over yeah. and shoot him in the belly. Yeah. And Beauchamp is like he shot him when he was Had unarmed. No guns. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, if he actually had two guns, he probably would have won the fight. And meanwhile, Richard Harris the whole time is just like, like listening. Yeah. yeah. He can't deny it. Awkward. Never one point does he yeah. say like, that's not true. Yeah. He's like, God damn it. Uh-huh. He's blowing my cover. Oh, it's so good. And then there's like, a, he kind of explains like, the guy with the cool head will always win in a gunfight. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is my favorite foreshadowing thing mm-hmm. that happens you just stay cool and, like, and stay slow. And if you can just stay calm, mm-hmm. yeah. then you can fucking kill as many people as you want. They make it to town. I don't love these sequences. Clint Eastwood gets sick, basically. He starts uh-huh. running a fever and he starts like seeing ghosts and stuff. And he's like, worms. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I saw that. Remember that guy that I blew his teeth through his, the back of his head? Well, I saw him in my dreams. He had worms coming out of his face. And then later on, he says he sees his wife with worms coming out of his face. He's like, this guy's a scared of worms. <laughs> it's like, what's your what's the scariest animal to you? Worms. Worms are probably the scariest. <laughs> it's like Indiana Jones, but lamer. Worms. Anything but worms. <laughs> Good scene, though, where they go to the bar. Ned and the Schofield kid go have sex with the girls. William Money, he's a wife guy. He ain't going to go have sex with these girls. So he stays down at the bar. And Gene Hackman ends up <laughs> confronting him. It's a wife what guy. What kind of guy are you? Are you a guy. wife guy? Or are you a, he's a, total wife a guy. sex worker guy? <laughs> he won't stop fucking talking about her ass. He's kind of how Corey would expect me to be. Corey's told me many times oh that my if God. Yeah. she dies, like I have to give at least three years. Why would you do that to him? I agree. Because he needs to be in mourning for me. He doesn't. I think he, a year is go plenty. Go fuck yourself. One year? One year is plenty. plenty. One year? Yeah. Plenty. We've when been he's together ready, for 18 when years. When he's ready, he's ready. No. She requires my ghost three is years. Haunting you know, him. she'll never know. Don't well, worry. My ghost will haunt. It did, mm-hmm. doesn't this movie say she's been dead for three years? No, eleven. No, that can't be. No, possible he, he hasn't shot a gun in eleven. Yeah, oh, okay, okay, okay. But I think she's been dead for three. Perfect amount of mourning time. So that he could actually. You would be fine if he had sex with. Yeah. Three is such an arbitrary number. Why? How did you calculate three? <sighs> I don't know, but one is not enough. Doesn't seem fair. But don't worry, I'm gonna live forever. Oh, I'm sorry, Jack. <laughs> I'll just apologize to your ghost every time I yeah. cheat on you in that three You years. should. Jack wouldn't even know <laughs> what to do. Exactly. Um, so then they He's end just up- just going to cry, yeah. cry, cry, cry. He, gets, he ends up getting beaten up. Gene Ackman beats the shit out of him. Doesn't quite know who he is, though, but he knows he's there to kill. But he, I don't think he knows that he's uh-uh. William Money. But he again he makes an example, kicks the shit out of him. Ned and the Schofield kid end up helping him escape. It feels kind of like the movie is dragging ass a little bit at this point. I will say when I was a kid, the first time I watched this movie, I was probably like 13. I was real into Westerns and I kind of saw them in order. Like I, by the time I watched this one, I had seen all the spaghetti Westerns. I'd seen a lot of John Wayne stuff too. And so I remember thinking this movie was a little bit slow, but this is going to sound stupid when I say it. But I'm like kind of proud of myself the way I used to watch movies as a kid because all a movie had to do was give me like one good ass sequence and I would, it didn't matter how much of the rest of the movie was boring to me, I would watch it again, I would buy the movie as long as it was like one good ass thing about it. So obviously the end of this movie totally won me over and then I would just watch it and then eventually I would start to like like everything about the movie. Yeah, I'm like proud that I like had the... um, the willpower to just like sit through stuff that I felt like was yeah. boring. Because now I love all that stuff. I don't mind him getting sick. I feel like it's meaningful. I can't put my finger on why, but it's... Well, he's just being haunted more. You know, yeah. it's like it, the demons are coming up in a more like literal way for him. Yeah. And again, seeing him get that low before he mm-hmm. fucking avenges mm-hmm. is powerful. And uh-huh. the kid, the Schofield kid can't even believe it. Yeah. He gets beaten up and the Schofield kid's like, his gun must have jammed, right? Like, yeah. he would have taken him out. He's a killer. Like, why, right. why'd he get beaten up? Did you get more reference to guns jamming? Mm-hmm. I like, too, that the Schofield kid and Ned are taking advances on the reward yeah, <laughs> from yeah. the girls. <laughs> I love the scene... Uh, between Clint Eastwood and Delilah Scarface. Uh, yes, Scarface. me too. He he tells her that she, she looks, looks like, like him. him. Yeah, 
And you can tell she's sort of like, thanks Damn. a lot. Yeah. And then she mentions to him, like, you know, the others have been taking advances. They'd be getting free ones. You know, if you want a free one, you can do it. And of course, Eastwood being the wife guy that he is, is like, nah. But she's sort of like, you don't want me because my cut up face. And mm-hmm. he has a really sweet line where he's like, hey, if I was to want a free one, I would want it from you, I guess. More than those other girls. It's just we both have scars. It's sweet. It is. <laughs> it is sweet. It's the impressions going a little too. Yeah, it's getting better as you get more drunk. <laughs> oh, interesting thing about the scene too. It's all snowy outside. Mm-hmm. Wasn't supposed to snow. They had no. They had no idea it was going to. It just did, and they were like, it's "All right, great. It, it, just shoot it." It implies a passage of time. Yeah, too, and like it couldn't be. It couldn't have it's happened so on a beautiful too. A better scene too, like. He yeah. thinks she's an angel. He's yeah. like having this moment where he's having this sweet conversation with mm-hmm. the woman that he's there to kind of avenge. It feels right that it would be this sort of beautiful snowy landscape. They end up finally finding one of the guys, Davy, And they shoot his horse. He falls off the horse. He breaks his leg. He's crawling away. Morgan Freeman, who is the good shot of the group, suddenly can't fucking do it. Like he can't pull the trigger and kill this guy. And so William Money has to take the, the rifle. Oh, this is sad. This Baby scene is fucking is great. Sad. This scene is yeah. great. So he shoots him. He misses. He's got one more bullet left. He finally like has to like really steady himself. He shoots him. He gets this guy in the gut, and the guy starts like crying. Starts being like, "I'm hurt. I'm oh, thirsty. Oh, my mouth is so dry. I need water." And the fucking. Schofield kids like can't see shit. So he's like, Did you get him? I know. He's so fucking annoying. Did you get him, Will? And he's like, Shut the fuck up. Yes, I got him. Just <laughs> shut up. Is he dead? Uh, I, I guess he, I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he is. Maybe. It. Yeah. And then the guy's crying for water and his friends are hiding behind this rock. And you can see that it's like getting to Clint Eastwood. And so eventually he's like, God damn it. Can you bring the kids some water? God. Just fucking bring him some water. And the guy, uh, one of his friends is the guy from Scary Movie. Really? He's like the jock. Uh, he yes, looks familiar. He is. Yeah. yeah, that's what he's from. He's the jock with the baby dick in Scary yes. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one who brings him water. And yeah, they have to just sit there and listen to this guy fucking die in pain. It kind of reminds me of the Saving Private Ryan scene. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And you can just see in all their faces, they're like, this fucking sucks. Like, we're not killers anymore, and this is not fun to have to do and after the scene is over morgan freeman's like peace morgan freeman's like i can't do this anymore like i'm i'm peacing out and then they barely even try to argue with him so then they got to go off on their own but in the meantime morgan freeman he gets caught by gene hackman and gene hackman starts whipping the shit out of him the rodney king beatings had just happened like in 1990 apparently clint eastwood specifically told gene hackman i want to kind of like reference police power and police corruption with your character so i want you to kind of base your character off of the los angeles police uh chief of police at the time daryl gates and gene hackman was like hell yeah because he was really this is so shocking to hear about clint eastwood because he sounds so progressive at this time yeah and he is not well we all know a lot of people spiral yeah they do deeper and deeper in age Mm -hmm. and yeah at this point gene hackman is a total savage it's hard to to think of him as anything but just a villain when Mm -hmm. he's doing this to morgan freeman they end up finding the other cowboy guy he's in the house playing cards with a group of guys they wait for him to go out to the outhouse to take a shit he does 
And they're like, hey, do you want us to watch your back? He's like, what, are you going to watch me shit? And he's like, well, what if they sneak up on you? He's like, then I'll fart on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then William Money's the like, shit. all right, go get him. And the Schofield kid walks up, opens the outhouse door. Wrong door. First wrong door. Mm-hmm. They get caught. He shoots the guy quickly while he's sitting on the toilet, unarmed. He can't reach his gun. They run off, and the kid can't fucking take it. At first, he tries to act like he's proud of it. He's like, I shot that guy, right? He shot him pretty good. And And then he's like, it was my first. He admits that he's never killed anybody. He's like, it don't seem real. He's like, not going to breathe anymore. Oh, it's so sad. (laughs) So sad. It's a hell of a thing, killing a man. You take away all he's got, and all he's ever gonna have. Yeah. Well, I guess they had it coming. We all have it coming, Captain. We all have it coming. She's beautiful. And then the kid's literally like, "Yeah, I can't yeah. do it. I don't want to be a killer anymore. And the woman on horseback arrives right at this time. Yeah, so yeah, the then, this, then she comes to give him money because they, they did it, mm-hmm. successfully killed these guys. But then she kind of lets it drop that, that they, they killed Ned. And this is hard because Clint Eastwood's like, what? Yeah, he's so confused. He's literally like, why would anybody kill Ned? Yeah. It's like Ned, Ned already left. It. He's already going south. Ned didn't do shit to nobody. And while she's telling them, you he grabs s- that the whiskey bottle and he just starts swigging. Slowly swig, starts swigging. After being swig sober for years. 11 years. Down That's the fucking sober, drain. 11 years. 11 years down the fucking drain. And then he just finishes the whole bottle and throws and it. And this is, this is what's crazy about the movie is like, the movie is doing everything in its power to tell us that this is him going to the dark side. That this is not good. His humanity is gone. But we want it. But we, we want are it so fucking bad. psyched. <laughs> we're psyched. We're so. The we're second like, he starts to take a swig, I am clapping. I'm like, "Angel yes, of let's death, go. come reap your vengeance on these motherfuckers!" And boy, does he! This is it. Hell comes to Big Whiskey. The rain and thunder starts fucking pouring. He rides into town. You see him drop that empty whiskey bottle in Ugh, the mud. So good. As he's riding in, great shot where it's like slowly dollying past the corpse of Ned that's been put in a half-opened coffin Mm -hmm. with a sign on it that says, this is what happens to assassins around here. Gene Hackman's in there. He's like, everybody have a drink on me. We killed Mm -hmm. the guy. Tomorrow, we're going to go. We're going to take our (laughs) time. We're going to rest. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We're going to go out tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And you just see the tip of that shotgun. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right in the And they all kind of stop and go quiet and turn around. And again, the sound design because all the it's all the ambience is just hard rain and yeah. thunder in the background. And he says, "Who's the owner of this establishment?" This is the best line. Skinny Pete steps forward and he says, "I am." Boom! He blasts Skinny. Just Skinny. Skinny. <laughs> and then Gene Hackman goes, "You just killed an unarmed man." And he says, "Should have armed himself. He's gonna decorate his saloon with my friend." Yeah. Ugh. So good. Fucking good. That's the best one. This is like the Rolling Thunder taxi driver sequence. This is this, yeah. this is and David People said that he was inspired by Taxi Driver to write this script. This is you can tell this is Travis Bickle walking into the prostitute into the pimps mm-hmm. lair and killing all the pimps. Yeah. Um and Gene Hackman realizes who he is and he says, You'd be William Money out of Missouri. 
killer of women and children. That's right. I've killed women and children. Killed just about everything that walks or crawled at one time or another. And I'm here to kill you, little Bill. For what you did to Ned. Points a shotgun. All right, gentlemen. He's got one barrel left. When he fires that, take out your pistols and shoot him down like a mangy scoundrel he is. He pulls that trigger. Misfire. Kill us, bitch. Pulls out that fucking handgun and he just... There's a good podcast called uh, Unspooled that did an interview with Saul Rubinek, who plays uh, WW Beauchamp. He did an interview on that podcast that I suggest people go listen to if they're interested. But he said, in this moment, Gene Hackman kept saying misfire too quickly. And Clint Eastwood, who never gave direction to any of the actors, was asking him, can you give me a little beat so that I can like put an edit point? But Gene Hackman kept saying it right after the the trigger pulled. Embarrassing. And so Clint Eastwood was like, let's break for five minutes. Everybody left set and he set up a little dolly track and he didn't tell anybody anything. He didn't say anything new to Gene Hackman. And he said after the click, he had told the cameraman to do a push in on the dolly. And Gene Hackman saw the camera pushing in and instinctively knew to wait for the push in to end before he said misfire. And it gave- Wow, that's smart. Gave Clint Eastwood the, the little beat that he needed. That's cool. And you can see in the movie, the little push-in, right? Misfire. Great little shootout. And he just murders everybody, including, it looks like, little Bill. Shoots him in the stomach. Everybody's dead except for Saul Rubinek. He gets up and immediately Saul Rubinek is like asking for details. He's like, what's the the gun you're using there? Which guy did you kill first? He wants to know because he wants to write all about it. I just feel like the, the movie should have blasted his ass out of that bar. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna indiscriminately kill all these people in this bar. But he show. was hiding under a dead body, kind I, of like shows him even more yeah. like. Oh yeah, I guess slimy. Clint Eastwood's character does not know how slimy this yeah. guy is, but we do. So yeah. it's like there's a part of you that just wishes he just. But I kind of want him to live to tell the tale. Sure, it's true. Sure. The story's told by somebody. He's also, just, he didn't just, really do anything like death worthy in the movie he's just kind of a creep yeah that's true but then as he's talking to Beauchamp we see that little Bill ain't dead he's alive he starts to roll over pull his gun out but Clint Eastwood catches him steps on his hand puts that rifle in his fucking face he goes I don't deserve this to die like this I was building a house (laughs) (laughs) deserves got nothing to do with it I'll see you in hell, William Money. Yeah. <laughs> Needed a splat sound. Yeah. And some blood splatter on his yeah. face. I wanted to see blood on Even his face. Even just the sound would have done for me, because it's just the sound of the gun. You need to hear those yeah, brains hit the wood. You blow someone's face off with a shot. You need to hear the brains hit the wood. And yeah, if, if we could have seen some on his yeah, speckle on his face, bit. too, that would have been nice, yeah. too. Adds another wormy face to his nightmare cast. He's going to be mm-hmm. seeing Gene Hackman now. Yeah. He steps outside. <laughs> He's like, you better bury Ned right. You better not cut up nor otherwise hurt no horse. If I come back, I'll kill every one of you son of bitches. I wish he grabbed Ned, put him on his horse, took him away. I know. I was hoping that too. But he was if he would have tried... They would have killed him. It's them. dangerous. Yeah. It's dangerous. But. And he's old. He's not going to be able to like lug a body onto a horse. 
in the fucking rain. Best friend. I know. He knows he's the fucking pale rider would, now. He, he would he do can, it for me. He <laughs> is the little Bill now. So he can he can command people to do shit. Because he tells them too. If anybody does shit, I'm going to come back and kill your fucking wives and your yeah, kids and shit. Burn <laughs> down your house. I mean, he's gone totally to the dark side. He's back to being cold-blooded William Money Killer. I do think at the at the end, his line about killing their family and burning down their house is just to spook them. Yeah, it is. Yeah. For, oh, sure. for, sure. for sure. For sure. But he's embracing it. Yeah. He's just embracing it. Notable he doesn't die, which I think goes back to what you're saying, Justin, where the movie, the script and Clint Eastwood is... is they are as excited about this as we are because yeah. it could punish him. If it really wanted to be anti-violence, William Money would have died. He mm-hmm. would have done this and he would have gotten killed in the process. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's sort of like Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Well, did you? Oh, he doesn't die in Taxi Driver and he ends up being touted as a hero. Yeah. Now, he's not celebrated in this. The, the postscript of this movie specifically says like he's remained thought of as a piece of shit. But do you Nobody know- really knows his right. true nature or whatever. Yeah. But you know about the original ending? No. So the, apparently they shot it too. They and the writer was like really wanting it to be enemy. He was like, "Oh, was Clint Eastwood made a better choice." But the original ending that is filmed was him going home, seeing his children, his children like coming out and hugging him and being like, "You made it back, Daddy." And like you, so you did. And the, I think the little boy or something it said says like, "So you didn't kill any men?" And he's like, "Nope." I didn't kill any men. <laughs> and then it's like they they hug yeah. and but it's like supposed to sign the writer was saying like it was supposed to signify like he's not like saying to his son, Yeah, I killed them because all these men deserved it. It's like he's feeling the guilt of it and you see he's like, No, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was the original ending. He's trying to he's trying to tell a different but story. But Clint Eastwood thought it. it was too long with that. Beat. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary because he gets that in there too when when Ned decides to leave, he tells Ned like, Tell my kid don't tell my kids about what I've done. Yeah. And yeah, we get a final credit that says dedicated to Sergio and Don, which is Sergio Leone and Don Siegel. Don Siegel did the Dirty Harry movie. And that's the end. That's the end of the film. This movie was remade in 2013. What? Japanese remake, oh. also called Unforgiven with Ken Watanabe from The Last Samurai. Uh, they also tried to turn this into a ride at Six Flags. What? But um, market research deemed it too dark. And so they... What would the ride even be? Roller coaster. They turned it into the Viper instead. Going oh. through what? Western times and shoot 'em ups I think they were just going to make a roller coaster called Unforgiven. Very weird. That's cool. But they should have attached like guns to it and had you like shoot uh, animatronics as you're going mm-hmm. by. There was some rides like that at Silver Dollar City. That's rad. Yeah. Well, let's take one more break and we'll be right back to talk final thoughts on Unforgiven. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mm. 
to Cinema Possessed, and we're talking final thoughts on Unforgiven 1992. Corey, I'm going to start with you. Loved it. Um, if all Westerns are like this, I'd like them. Um, I think I, you've seen more Westerns than you give yourself credit for. Yeah, but I guess I just haven't seen like the ones with John Wayne. Yeah, you've probably not seen any John Wayne. And Williams. those will seem like Snooze Fest 3000 to me. Yeah, American Westerns, I don't think you would love until you start getting into the 90s. I, yeah, I like these more modern I think you would modern, like Italian Westerns. Modern um, Westerns, I feel like. You think I would like Italian Westerns? Yeah, I think you would like all the Sergio Leone and the Corbucci stuff. Well, I'm down to give it um, give it a try. Uh, the next one I want to watch is definitely Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm-hmm. Um, George Roy Hill. When we were watching the movie, Justin, I did lean over to Jack. And I was, true sincerity, was like, has Clint Eastwood always been old in movies? <laughs> like, like, has he always been yes. an old actor? But Jack said he was like, no, that he was like, since he was a child. But I really can only think of Clint Eastwood like this version of Clint Eastwood and older. I still feel like even in Dirty Harry, he looks like he's this. like old. Well, he was like. kind of old then, but I mean, like he was playing cowboys in the in the '60s. You know, yeah. I mean, he's been around since he was young. He signed a deal with it. He's 300 years old. For real. He sings a musical number in Paint Your Wagon. I talk to trees. Wow. Well, um, this has everything I would want in a Western. It's weird to say, but like I love revenge movies. Um, and I feel like the violence, even though Clint Eastwood's character is a bad man, is justified. Like these two men fucked up a woman and therefore mm-hmm. I want I want revenge. Right. Um, and so, yeah, if you aren't sure if you're a Western type person, I would I think this is maybe a great uh, starting off Western. It's interesting. It's, you don't think so? Well, it's just like a lot of people think this is like the Western to end all Westerns because of its revisionist nature. Well, and... I guess that's me. I don't know Westerns enough to say that. But for if you're just like wanting to watch a Western style movie, mm-hmm. I think most people would have a great time with this movie. I agree. Um, great performances, great storytelling, great writing, very beautiful sets. A plus for me. Justin, how about you? Unforgiven, I feel, transcends the Western. Mm. I think the revisionist aspect of it that you brought up is interesting and is definitely, I think, a bonus feature of the movie. But even without the history of Westerns, I think the movie just stands out as... I do think it stands out as a criticism of of violence, even though the movie features um, violence heavily. It's a spiritual movie to me. Mm -hmm. It's uh, beautifully shot, beautifully written, beautifully performed. I think it's his greatest movie he's ever been involved in. Wow. I love it. A++ for me. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to order this uh 4k and there's a yeah, 4k that's a release big one for a, you i feel there's a 4k release yeah because yeah. i want to watch it again soon um i got very excited i was pumped mm-hmm. two hours flew by they mm-hmm. did i i stood a movie that makes me stand out of my seat that should be the metric yeah. not thumbs Th- i'm not sitting in a movie <laughs> holding my thumbs up <laughs> to like the screen fucking like richard nixon i'm yeah. i'm <laughs> I'm standing out of my seat. Yeah. I'm leaning closer. I'm two legs straight yeah, from Justin two legs Straight up, <laughs> ass up in the air. 
And for a man yeah. with back problems, yeah, you know that's too swinging. Yeah, I'm risking my health <laughs> to show my enthusiasm for the movie. <laughs> Fighting through L4, L5 herniated discs. Speaking of two thumbs, Siskel and Ebert didn't like the movie. That's crazy. They're, it's just crazy. But I will say Roger Ebert walked it back. He he did a reevaluation of it in the 2000s and gave it four stars. But originally, you can watch their Siskel and Ebert. They both thought it was boring. Oh my God. They're they didn't get so it. stupid. They were probably just going through it. You know, sometimes you don't get a movie and you're not watching it the right way. I feel like, because yeah. when you read Ebert's later review, you're like, okay, he gets the movie now. But yeah, I love the movie too. This is up there with one of my favorite Westerns. I love Westerns. You know, sometimes we, when you watch um, uh, like an... For me, when I watch like a 50s musical, is homework. It's a little bit of homework. Rude. Sometimes they're good, but sometimes it's homework. To me, Westerns never feel like homework. Yeah. It's, it's like watching a 70s cop drama. You know, that's not homework to me. That's I think exciting. there's a lot of modern Westerns that are um, kind of trying to reinvent the wheel a little bit too much for me. Well, I think they're all revisionist now. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was quite as popular back then. Revisionist Westerns had been made before. McCabe and Mrs. Miller is a revisionist Western. Yeah. I think No Country for Old Men is a good example mm -hmm. of a modern. It's a neo-Western. Yeah. yeah. Neo meaning like new or modern. But like the proposition, Bone Tomahawk, mm -hmm. uh, Hateful Eight. I think completely. Bone qualifies. Tomahawk. That's a good one too. And Django Unchained qualifies as a revisionist Western. Uh, but yeah, I love the movie. I definitely want to upgrade my DVD to a Blu-ray. I don't know when I'm going to do it. You're, so I'm not. Well, gonna, if you're going to uh, do it, you got to put it up on the Patreon. And I will. When I do it, I'll do it. I can't guarantee I'm going to do it right away. Yeah. But when I do, this thing's going right up on the Patreon. Just a warning, folks. It's not a great transfer. And there ain't but no if you want to see the movie. And yeah. you're on our Patreon. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's free. Yeah. Ish. <laughs> Do you think Jenga ever released a Jenga Unchained edition? Mm. <laughs> this we get as fully hit. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> Just the, since he brought up, since he said Django and I drunkenly heard Jenga. <laughs> Jenga Unchained. <sighs> well, now that we've said everything there is to say about Unforgiven, what do you say we play? The Revisionist, the Revisionist Cinema, Cinema Quiz. That's right, folks. The Revisionist <laughs> Cinema Quiz. That's right, folks. Westerns aren't the only genre that get the revisionist treatment. Can you name these other revisionist movies based on the clues? We'll see. Question number one. This paranoia-fueled crime movie completely reimagined the heist genre by never actually showing the heist and utilizing a nonlinear structure to keep the audience guessing. Jeez, Which please. movie? Say again? Which year? You didn't I say. didn't say a year. This paranoia-fueled crime movie. Completely, paranoia. Com oh. Completely reimagined the heist genre by never actually showing the heist. Justin. I know the director. I don't know the name. Of oh, the Justin, the... Uh, the bling ring. But I'm close. Wouldn't call a revisionist. A revisionist heist movie. Can we get another clue? You never actually see the heist. And a non-linear structure is used to keep Inside the audience Man? guessing. I guess you do see it in that. Yeah, you see it in that. Uh... I'll give you a hint. It's early 90s. It was an indie movie. 
And it made a big old splash at Sundance. Pulp Fiction? Nope. Oh. But I'll give you another hint. You're close. Uh, Reservoir Dogs? Ding, ding, ding! Hmm. I don't view it as a heist movie. Exactly. Yeah. But it is. That's what makes it revisionist. (laughs) Question number two. Based on the nonfiction book, The Orchid Thief, this early 2000s comedy completely abandons the usual tropes of adapting a novel. Corey. Justin. (laughs) Adaptation. Very nice. I was waiting until he finished the fucking question. (laughs) I know, that's but I was watching your mouth to see when you opened it. Did you know just based off of Orchid Thief? Yes. Yeah. I needed to hear nothing. I considered else. taking that part the out. The second of it. you said it, it was like, well, should I wait for him the to same, finish? I, said or... the same I considered thing. taking that part out because I thought maybe that would tip yeah, it. Yeah, but... too obvious. Okay, number three. This gritty 70s character study subverts the tropes of the vigilante genre. Corey. Taxi driver? Ding, ding, ding. Wow. Damn, corn wallet. <laughs> this baguette. I'm like Clint Eastwood when I drink. <laughs> it's I the booze. It's the booze. Stabling your mind. <laughs> very good. Very good. Okay, three to zero. Question number four. This self-aware '90s slasher turned the horror genre Justin inside out. Scream. These are too easy. It. Damn. <laughs> I'm, that's why I'm doing good. It's You've never said that. <laughs> it's not too easy. You guys took forever to get the first one. And I had to give you three hints. Okay, well, since that. Just what? Just sometimes <laughs> do, do you, you feel you like. punch him in yeah, the throat? I feel like Clint yeah. Eastwood when he learns. You told me they were too easy. Yeah, you want to get him right in the yeah. throat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, question. So it's three to one. Question number five. This one's maybe going to be a hard one. This star studded 90s drama about a group of boys abused in a juvenile detention center subverts the tropes of the typical rape revenge film by challenging the notion of revenge and forcing the viewers to consider the systems that enable the abuse. Star-studded 90s 90s boy boys abused in a juvenile detention center subverts No, it's like I can't I subverts can't, I the can rape revenge genre. I can throw some. I can start throwing some actors if you need. I throw one actor. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. Is Ethan Hawke in this movie? No, but uh, we gotta fucking cover this movie. Yeah, is it? A, it's like a flash that goes between them as kids mm-hmm. and them as adults. Mm-hmm. It's not. <sighs> I don't know if I know this movie. One word. Snatch. No. Robert De Niro. Dustin Hoffman. I don't know this movie. Jason Patrick. I've seen it. I just Who else can't is in it? Because it is star-studded. Throw some more names. At Edward you. Norton. He's not. He's not in it. Kevin Bacon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it. I remember the movie. I don't know. Billy Crudup, Mini Driver. Damn. Stacked. Bruno Kirby. One word. One word. Brad Renfro. What's the first letter? S. Ooh, you're so close. Skeleton. (laughs) 
skeleton key. I think I'm going to have to take the points away from y'all. I'm just going to have to say, say it. it. Sleepers. Mm. Never heard of it. Damn it. Great film. We should cover it. Damn it, Janet. Okay, still three to one. Question number six. This early 2000s World War II epic shocked and delighted audiences when it rewrote history to tell the story of two plots to assassinate- bastards. Ding, ding, ding. Four to one. Question number seven. This late 80s rom-com completely thwarts the genre conventions and interrogates gender dynamics in an effort to ask the question- When Harry met Sally? Can men and women actually be friends without sex? And Corey wins the game. I do technically have a bonus one. No, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Corey wins. The revisionist (laughs) wins. But Justin, as always, we share the win. Thank you. I love you. (laughs) Um, Well, Well, that, my friends, (laughs) is the show. Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials. That's our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Guys, you got to check it out. If you're not on the Patreon, you're missing half the content. We talk about all sorts of great shit on there. We talked nude scenes recently. Mm-hmm. We talked the new movie Talk to Me. We talk all the Taylor s- Swift concert. <laughs> all sorts of great good stuff on there. Sign up, folks. You won't regret it. Please. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon only giveaways like Unforgiven. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your pods because that's important, folks. We need those reviews. A lot of you have left them. And we love to see them, but we like to see more. Yeah, we really need more. Do they get like a reward or an incentive for leaving a review? Our love and appreciation. Yeah, we don't our, see our, our humble appreciation. Mm. Well, what if they like tell us, then we can repost them, them or something. Oh, yeah, we'll repost them. Yeah, if you, if, really you, want. if you tell us, we will talk about you on the, on the <laughs> yeah. air. And as always, keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Goodbye. Adios. Bye bye. Creep. <laughs>